Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of So Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. My name is Michael Rice, and we're honored that you're here to join us. I'm not sure what's uh, happening for Michelle. She'll probably be with us any second, having maybe some some technical challenges, but not sure what that's about. But we're delighted and honored that you are here and that we are here getting to look at this first century Aramaic process of forgiveness. And I just finished having a conversation with Jim. We've got lots of energy moving here at Heartland with uh, painting and upgrading buildings and just kind of moving along. Things are really, the energy's hot. The energy's moving. And we're talking to a couple of new support team members possibly coming, spending some time here. So things are rocking along. But the conversation I was just having with Jim and we were focusing on a really powerful idea from A Course in Miracles, it says, you must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. And basically, what that's saying is, in the last analysis, your goals, what you want, drive your perception. And recognizing that your perception is driven by goals Every perception is a picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs, quite literally, or almost literally, appears on the inside of the eyeballs, and injects meaning into the world that you see. You know, in, uh, in the uh, Healing Through Relationships workshop, I'll oftentimes uh, you know, let people know I'm an artist and I draw a little picture of a flat line with a, you know, like a Volkswagen shape over top of it and a couple little holes in the middle. Ask people, what is this? And one person says, it's a two-door igloo. And somebody else says, no, it's a two-door train tunnel. And somebody else says, no, it's uh, two mouse uh, holes in the wall. And somebody else says, it's a Volkswagen. And somebody else, it's uh, Kilroy. And I point out to people that notice that what's on the board is simply a few lines. And all of those meanings come from the content of the mind that assigns those meanings. If I were to draw those lines on the board back in the year 1500, and let's imagine that I literally gathered everybody on the planet and drew those lines on the board that to some people look like a two-door train tunnel, is there one person on the planet who would have said two-door train tunnel? Not one. Why? Well, trains weren't invented. There was no such thing. And so 
nobody would speak about what is not in brain cells. And we are always speaking about what's in our brain cell structure. And so tie that together with the oft-repeated quote we now use, was delighted to find it's nice to have some affirmation for what we've been, for what we've been teaching for decades. The CIA website where they're looking to improve their analyst perception by studying perception, and they literally say, "quote The mind does not record reality; it constructs it." So each of us is continuously constructing a reality. Why, when ten people observe an event? Are there 10 different realities? Because nobody's ever observed an event in the world ever in the history of humankind. It's never happened through the body's eyes. We observe the constructs our mind makes based on the information coming in and the goals resonated by that circumstance, situation, or information coming in. So let's imagine that Ten people stand around and watch an accident happen. Cancel the thought of the accident, but imagine ten people stand around. And one looks, and she's a woman, and she just knows that men drivers are terrible. So she sees the accident happen, and she's sure that it was the man who ran the red light. The man in the group who says women are the worst drivers I've ever seen his mind constructs, according to his goals, the scenario where he sees the woman run the red light. And then there's every variation of story in between. Why? Because the world of actuality does not drive the perceptual system. The world of actuality only supplies information to the perceptual system. And the goals held in the mind of the perceiver are what drive the perceptual system. So the person who in their file on babies has compassion and caring looks at the screaming child and thinks of nothing but let me calm you, let me soothe you, let me hold you. Someone else looks at the the crying child and says, why do you keep doing that? You just enrage me when you won't stop that crying. Why are the two so different? Same baby, same crying. One person has goals in the perceptual system to take care of, care of the child. The other also may, may be a parent who has goals to take care of the child, but has a deeper goal that came from interaction with a power person And every time they stepped out of line with their power person, their power person came down on them like a ton of bricks. And so now when a child resonates those unresolved energies, they come down on the child like a ton of bricks. And it's all due to the way we want it to be. So I can look at a situation, actually kind of the context of the conversation with Jim this morning was, and Jim, if you're out there and you have any thoughts to add, I'd love to hear from you if you're listening, but... You know, I can say, well, you know, I really want to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do. I, I'm going to. I'm going to do my best to do this. And what happens with the mind? And somebody just came in and, and has a child in the background. If you could mute yourself, that would be nice. And so the uh, the person who says, I'm going to do my best to do this, really sincerely wants to do that. But if a different goal is activated, then the situation activating the goal will cause the mind to say, well, actually, I have something more important to do. I have something better to do. I have something, you know, my my guidance says I should do something different. Wait a minute, your guidance was to do this to start with. We see this all the time. People will come to Heartland, they were so guided. Oh, man, I'm ready to do this. But then the next time they have to face their stuff, all of a sudden, the mind sneaks in what it calls guidance and says, oh, well, we need to get out of here now. And and it comes across in people, you know, in a holy space, say, oh, yeah, well, I'm just guided now. I need to leave. It's like, well, I noticed that last night your stuff came up. Do you think that it might be an hallucination, your mind producing a reality that is 
overriding what your really clear guidance was and pretending to be guidance. So it's it's just the way the perceptual system works. And so I think it is brilliant to have that thought from the course and really keep it in the forefront. And here's where the context of the uh, of that quote came in is when I make a commitment to something, as opposed to say, as opposed to saying, "Well, I'd really like to do this. I'm going to do my best." When I say I'm committed, then whatever my perceptual system, whatever my evidential mind comes up with, doesn't matter. If I'm actually going to make a commitment, you know, I think about, you know, decades and decades ago, I made a commitment to take this work to every mind, heart, and being on the planet. Believe me, my perceptual system has come up with a million reasons why I should quit, why I should forget it, why it's too hard, why people don't appreciate it, people don't want it, people don't support it, people don't follow through, they don't complete. Oh, my mind can come up with a million things. And I'd quit 40 years ago if I listened to my mind. But I made a commitment, and here's what will happen. If you commit yourself, if you say, you know, I want to do this forgiveness process, we suggest you start out with five worksheets a day. And what will happen is your five worksheets will start to deepen your process until you get in touch with levels of your mind that you've probably never seen before. It takes time to do that. You know, in the world of psychology, it's been pretty well recognized that at least 95% of most people's mental processes are unconscious. You don't just drop into those deeper levels of the mind by saying, oh, I think I'll drop in on my own unconscious today because it's unconscious. <laughs> it's a process to work your way down and your way in there. And it's your commitment to face, walk through, and forgive everything that you confront there that will carry you through all the excuses your mind will give you for why you shouldn't, why you're too busy, why you've got something more important, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just hold that one in your heart and watch what your mind does. Watch the realities it produces. Everybody who looked at the lines on the board thought it was the meaning their mind held for them. Two-door train tunnel, two-door igloo. And go back to Yeshua. We talked about the brain cells yesterday, having the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Imagine today that your task is to go to the jungles of South America, excuse me, and right at the equator where there's a young man who's never a temperature below 80 degrees, we want you to sit with him and explain to him so that he understands in the same way as you and I understand a two-door igloo. Because sometimes those lines of the word people call it two-door igloo. Now, this guy has never experienced a temperature below 80 degrees in his life. The river that runs by his house or his cabin or his his hut. He's navigated, you know, in his paddle boat or his dugout canoe all his life. He swam in it and fished in it and gone to visit surrounding villages with it. And, you know, it's it's an awesome thing for him. So now we want you to sit with him in his native village and we want you to get him to understand a two-door igloo. What are you going to have to do? How are you going to explain to him this man who's never experienced a temperature below 80 degrees, if there's a place on the planet where the temperature goes to 60 below for eight months of the year, how are you going to explain that? And then explain to him that the river that he's used to play and fish and visit all his life, when that 60 below temperature hits, turns to a rock-like substance. And somebody has a saw and they're going to cut pieces of the river up and build a building out of it called an igloo. I, I want you to explain that to this guy. It's going to be quite a task to get them to comprehend what you and I easily recognize as a two-door igloo. If you, and, and here's the reason why commitment's required to really tru this, truly do this work. If you come from a culture based in violence... I posted on my Facebook page yesterday the uh, a quote from Jimmy Carter talking about we've been at war since World War II with 25 countries. 
you were brought up in a world of violence. I was brought up in a world of violence. I mean, we've, on this planet, according to Columbia University, murdered in excess of 175 million people in the last 75 years. How do you explain to someone who came in, I mean, just hold a newborn child and you know what human life is, this gentle, tender, sweet presence of love. How do you explain to someone who left that behind 60 years ago, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago, and bought into a world of violence? How do you explain to someone who was told they're not worth anything, they're sinners, they're worse than worms, they'll never be anything, they'll never get anywhere, they'll never accomplish anything, they're stupid. I mean, the things I've heard that people have been told by their parents, we had one lady that was at a workshop and she shared that when she was six years of age, she had a crystal clear memory of her father coming to her and telling her that until she was born into the family, they had a perfect family and she destroyed the family. How do you explain to somebody that holds that as the norm in their minds that there is a world where they can experience themselves and everyone else as we were created as the active presence of love? Yeshua said you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I'll tell you what, it's as long a journey sitting in the village with the man at the equator explaining a two-door igloo as it is taking someone raised in this world and have them build the brain cells for really recognizing that they are made of this stuff called love. The journey is the same. It takes time to build the brain cells. Once everybody gets the idea that it's possible to have that, everybody wants to be there yesterday, and the ancients warned you can't storm the gates. It's a process to bring that work forward in a modern context, in a way that people can understand it and put it to work in their lives. And the major tool in the process is the tool of forgiveness. And forgiveness, having nothing to do with letting others off the hook, you know, here's another piece of training that needs to be done. How do you get people who believe that they're supposed to forgive themselves and others, let people off the hook, let themselves off the hook, that that's got nothing to do with forgiveness, but that forgiveness is how I go inside myself and remove that content based in hostility or fear. How do I make that transition? You've got to build the brain cells. My observation over the years of doing this, over about a half a century of it now. I started when I was four years of age, you know. Is that it takes the average person five years to really start to comprehend the process and the work. To really ground themselves in and move forward, probably more like ten. And people say, well, I haven't got time to do that. Well, if you don't do it, you're going to run out of time a lot sooner than if you do. You don't have time not to do it because it's the essence of life. It's who we are. And we're here to support each person on the planet experiencing who they are. The key tool is that of removing who we are not, and that tool is called forgiveness. When you think forgiveness, think removal. If you haven't engaged in the forgiveness process yet, we invite you to go to www.whyagain.org. In the middle, you'll see a bullseye. Scroll down the page a little bit, perhaps. You'll see a bullseye. And when you click that bullseye, it'll open a whole series of links. Here's how to engage in first century Aramaic forgiveness. Literally, how to remove the very capacity for any form of hostility or fear. So that's what we're here to support you in. That's the process we're involved in. And we appreciate the fact that you're with us. And uh, let's see if Michelle is uh, got caught up with us. Are you with us, Michelle? Well, she may not be, but you should be Talk able to, to hear Jimmy me. Is. <clears throat> yeah, I hear you loud and clear, sir. How do you be today? I'm doing well, thanks. Awesome. I was just thinking, again, as you were talking about that, that the um, I, on a regular basis, have an experience that I imagine would be similar to your task of trying to explain a two-door igloo to somebody who lives in the equator. 
and that is people come into my office and for the first time I try and introduce them to the concept that no one has ever made them angry or sad or hurt or scared or frustrated and that it's all an inside job and that every emotion oh, yeah. they've ever experienced is something they've created by the choice of their thoughts. And um, I'll do the two-door igloo thing, Tim. You do that one. Yeah, well, that's that's the challenge. And um, I, I think it's probably about as... An uphill battle, as it would be to explain the two-door igloo, and yet the rewards I feel when I am around when people choose to step into that awareness and practice living their lives from that position are beyond words. It's it's a huge joy, and um, you know I had somebody in my office earlier this morning that. You know, he's in his late forties, maybe maybe early fifties, and it's only the fourth session. But he came in and said, "So I realized that, you know, when I get triggered to anger, I become a four-year-old who puts his fingers in his ears and says, no, I don't want to hear you,' and then throws a tantrum. And that, yep. and that I, I've I've caught myself doing that." several times in the past few weeks and I didn't realize that that's really what I'm doing and that rather than telling my wife or my significant other what's upsetting me I make the decision that I'm going to punish her by doing this or that passive aggressively or refusing to do something they want me to do and that I'm doing it to myself and that what I know about how that's going to open up a space for interdependence and liberty in this person's life is just is wonderful. It's a wonderful experience to be a part of. And again, the same kind of thing happens when I have the support groups each week. So, <clears throat> so. Um, that's my comment on your intro. And I'm also in the process of trying to, um, you know, get the switchboard up and see if there's anybody on the, in the chat room. Um, apparently there is at least one person in the chat room. And Awesome. Cool. And currently no one with a hand up in the uh, switchboard. Well, you triggered a, a, a thought for me that's another important point in the whole process when you talked about how he never realized that he was doing the tantrum with a finger in his ears, the, the equivalent of that. And it's interesting how the mind can lie to us. I mean, once we see a behavior for what it is, we go, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. But perception doesn't show us a behavior that comes from the unconscious. For what it is, it changes the story. It, you know, what what somebody who says, gee, I never realized I did that, what they're doing every time they've done it, maybe their whole lives long, what their mind is telling them is, well, this is just how you protect yourself. Well, this is how you stay safe, you see. But it never tells you the insanity that you're engaging in until you really are able to step back. And that's that's such a key piece in the process, too, just being able to step back and become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. It's um, it's a huge piece to do. And to be able to see ourselves and, and the behaviors we're doing for what they really are. So many people will do, you know, really deep attack behaviors and lie to themselves, and yet they hold a reality that, oh, this is all perfectly logical and rational and reasonable. And, of course, one of the things you have to do around the average person who's in that state is you've got to approach very carefully because you can lose your head in a hurry. Because the person who's not looking at their own behaviors truthfully is in blockage of truth. And someone who's in blockage of truth, when truth starts to show up, their stress goes up. And most people have their stress attached to getting rid of the source of the information they don't want to look at. 
So just to, to really be able to start to see ourselves truly for what it is that we're doing and have our minds tell us the truth about where our defensive behaviors are coming from and uh, and and how much when our power person did them to us, we hated those very behaviors, and yet we expect others should tolerate them and smile and get along with them. It's pretty bizarre. We do have someone with their hand up. Great. Well, let's say hello. So area code 417, you're in the air. Uh, that would be Jim Farmer. Well, hey there, young man. Welcome. Well, first, Michael, I want to thank you for the invitation to be vulnerable on a radio show, and, and here I thought we were friends. <laughs> okay. Uh what I want to share with everybody. I, I wasn't. I wasn't asking you, Jim. I'm not asking you to tell your life story. I'm just, just <laughs> thought you might have some comments about uh, about just what we were talking about yeah, before I, uh, before the I, show started because it set the tone for the show. I I, I I do. We we don't have enough time for me to tell my life story or even a tenth of it. Uh, but now what what I wanted to share with the group is that um, although uh, I first was introduced to Michael's work in 1989 and have been doing it uh, for a long time. Uh, I did a Laws of Living course again uh, and again this year, and uh, each time I chose not to do the six weeks of homework. And uh, my mind told me, well, that's if you want to teach Laws of Living, so you don't really have to do that. And my mind also told me that, uh, you know, I've got a lot going on in my life, and that's that's the commitment that I, I don't think, I don't want to make a commitment that I don't think I can complete and live up to and, and be in integrity with. And so Michael called me on that last night. We had a, a, a good conversation, uh, and I was in resistance. Uh, and Michael just asked me to you know, make a commitment to do the six weeks uh, because you don't complete the course unless you do that. And you'll see the benefit today and, and several other elements, mind goal management sheets and verbal links and so on. And it's it's quite a bit of work. It's quite a commitment, and I've resisted that. And so after Michael talked to me last night about that, uh, thank God for the pieces of the work that I have gotten and integrated into my life that I was able to connect the dots after and say, well, you know, I've seen enough people that have come to Heartland, and, and as soon as they hit uh, a wall in front of them, which was their stuff, which came up and their stuff to heal, they wanted to jump ship. And a few of them have over the years. Uh, and so I recognize that in others, and it's because they had blocked the good truth. They didn't see what was really going on. They were just uh, uh, seeing the output of their own heart-based memory. And, and so I connected that dot with the other fact that I don't want to be a year down the road or two years down the road and look back and, and be in the same place I'm, I am now physically, mentally, emotionally, and look back and have to say, gee, I wonder if things would have been different if I had done that, that six weeks. So anyway, that's pretty much what I wanted to say, and I am committed to doing the six weeks starting today, um, the six weeks of homework for the laws of living. Uh, and uh, Michael, I want to thank you. And, uh, you know, it's, even though this has been part of my life since 1989, uh this yeah we're we're still humans and uh, I, I would like to think that you know most of my stuff is healed and here's just one more example of something else that needs to be healed and I thank you Michael for the work and the opportunity to do this and there's still part of me that doesn't want to do it <laughs> and I can share that openly and honestly but um, the, uh, the all other part of me uh, is committing to it. And that's all I wanted to share. I hope it's helpful to some folks out here. Cool. It's powerful, Jim. Nice, nice. I One of the things I've said this to you before, but I appreciate about you, is how you take things away and, and mull them over and, and break through your own mind. It's pretty cool to watch. Awesome. Well, and those who, uh, who might want to engage in laws of living, we're going to be doing that uh, 16-day intensive in February. At this absolutely gorgeous huge house, we're going to call, we're calling it the Lap of Luxury Intensive. We're going to do a 16-day Laws of Living, uh, starting on 
February the 18th, I believe it is, 18th of March the 4th, if I remember the date correctly. It might be the 17th, but anyway, especially if you're up there in the frozen north, you might want to join us. We'll be in uh, just outside of Orlando in the town of Kissimmee, about five minutes from Disney World, and uh, we have this beautiful uh, resort home with a swimming pool and all that we'll be doing the 16-day laws of living at. We're also, so if you're ready to jump in, there's going to be room for 12 people. I think we've got uh, four people who've, uh, we just announced it, uh, what, three days ago, and I think we've got four people who've already taken four spaces in it, and uh, so we've got, I think, eight spaces left. So if you decide you want to join us, that would be awesome. We're also doing, starting on February 1st, a nine-day codependence to interdependence communication practicum, and that nine day for people who want to do more will actually stretch out to a stretch out to a sixteen day. So we'll be doing nine days and participation for ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, or all sixteen days is also possible. But we decided to put the nine day segment in so that people who can only take a week off of work are able to do that, come and do the nine day and then head back to work or what have you. But those who uh, want to, it'll actually be a full sixteen day program. So if you want to join us for those, touch in, let us know, create a space, come and join us. That would be awesome. And beyond that, anybody else with a hand up, Dr. Kim? Currently, anybody else the, uh, the switchboard is clear, and uh, nothing is uh, that I can see is going on in the chat room. So if you have a question, this is the time to hit one. Plenty of time left, 646 200 4169. If you press one on your phone, it'll let us know that you want to speak or have a question or a comment, and we'd be happy to hear your input. I had um, the pleasure of finding out earlier in the week that somebody that I've been telling about the internet show took advantage of it and, uh, and listened in the other day. They were at work in a space where they could pull it up on their computer and they realized it was noon central and they turned on the show and they let me know that it was absolutely wonderful and um, they're looking forward to sharing the shows and listening to more themselves so uh, it, it was one of those divine timing things where the topic and the show was just what they needed and to be able to share with another family member who was having a hard time understanding how this work is relevant and it was just right on point. So so if you have a question or a comment, please press 1, let us know because every time you call in with a question, it's a question that helps us refine the work. It's a question that is shared by hundreds, if not thousands, and thousands of others. And it really is a gift when you ask your questions. I find personally that uh, people's questions are my learning opportunity. When people present themselves with a question or a challenge, it uh, it opens a space for me always, always, always to learn something that I didn't know, you know, a question I never thought about. And, you know, the truth is if we touch into our inner tutor, our intuition, all answers are continuously available. But it takes the presence of the question to pull the answer out. And if we can collapse our minds, keep our minds out of the way, who was it? I think it was Emerson that said, you've got to get your bloated nothingness out of the way. <laughs> that the intellect that thinks it knows everything has got to shut up and move apart. And when it does, it creates a space. So question appears, and the question is a vibration. It's energy. The universe works by resonance. There's a power in you that knows every answer to every question in the world. And so if you can get your mind out of the way, then that Literally, the energetic vibration of the question produces a resonance that pulls forward the answer and the understanding. So I, for one, really appreciate the fact that I get to play with so many people around the globe who've done so much work and develop so many questions and bring so many issues forward. And each time when I can sit in silence and listen, I get guidance as to how to resolve that one. 
there's a great scene in the movie Gandhi, if you haven't uh, watched that movie. It's really powerful and really worth watching. And, you know, after a lot of interaction and his determination to rid England of the abuses of the British, or rid India, pardon me, of the abuses of the British, he comes across a scenario that he's not sure what to do with. And so he walks, he goes to his hometown. It's kind of an interesting scene because there's a a reporter who actually had been with him when he was in um, Africa as a young man and reported on some of his activities. And this guy's like, well, how are you going to deal with the British? What are you going to do? And Gandhi's like, I don't know. I don't have a clue. So he goes to the sea and sits on a seawall with this reporter, and they're talking. And he shares how when he was a child, you know, in his upbringing, the the, uh, mosque that he went to or whatever, the temple that he went to, they would read and give equal weight to the uh, Vedas, to the Christian scriptures, to the Jewish scriptures, to the the Quran. They would read them interchangeably and gather the wisdom from all of those pieces of the puzzle of healing. And he's sitting there explaining this and kind of tapping back into his childhood. And you can just see him, if you've got the brain cells, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you see him just getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And this reporter is pushing him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, hey, what are you going to do? And God is just getting quieter and quieter. And then, and they portray intuition striking so powerfully in this film. They really capture it because you see all of a sudden Gandhi's whole body changes, his body posture changes. And Tatsui says, you know what you're going to do, don't you? And Gandhi just gets up, he smiles, he doesn't say a word, but he got the message. And it's interesting because he's sitting before the sea, right in front of the sea, and asking his inner tutor, his intuition for guidance, what do I do next? And the sea, now this may sound ridiculous, the sea talks to him. You say, come on, Michael, that's silly. Listen to the physicists today. Here's what they're telling us. Every molecule in the universe is in continuous communication with every other molecule in the universe. And the solution to the problem of getting the British abusers out of India was salt. And what he was told in that quiet state was, Make salt. It's a symbol of the abuse and the chains that India are in. And at first, British authorities ridicule him. What? He's going to beat the British Empire by making a few pounds of salt? And finally, you know, the British are just incarcerating people left, right, and center because they're making salt. They've made it illegal. It's it's a symbol of their control over the uh, continent, the subcontinent of India. So pretty interesting how that happens. And when we get into that quiet place, then all of the universe becomes our teacher. Unless we think we know better. Again, that's Emerson, get your bloated nothingness out of the way. If you think you know it, or you're in an arena where you have an unresolved issue, your unresolved issue will create an interfering energy that will prohibit you from hearing the still small voice, the subtle energetic impulses that come from all of the creation to you all the time are continuously available to you unless you're paying attention to a different noise. And what most people are paying attention to is their mind and their rage and their guilt and their fear and their distractions and their all the noise that goes on that keeps us from really, truly functioning fully as we're designed to. And why is forgiveness so important in this process? 
because the noise that interferes with our functioning totally as humans is made up of energy. It's vibration. Hate, fear, anger, rage, condemnation, suffering are all energetic dynamics. And what happens each time you engage in the process of forgiveness is you weaken one energetic dynamic or another that's held within your structure until the influence of that energetic dynamic disappears. So when you forgive, if you're in anger and you forgive as to your anger, and how many worksheets might you do around your anger? Well, Yeshua says 77 times 70, which means an infinite number till you're complete with your anger. Oh, well, Michael, I already did five worksheets in my life on anger, so I should be finished with it now. Good luck. Let's see, when do you first remember your, your first rage outbreak? And how many times, how many relationships have you broken over it? How many opportunities? How many situations? And you think that five worksheets is going to do it? Not going to happen. You're not going to drop into that part of your mind until you have committed yourself and done the work of dropping into that part of your mind. You know, the exploration of outer space is nothing. Sending somebody to the moon to Mars is nothing compared to getting someone to explore what's in their inner space to deal with the generational pain and rage and fear is a thousand times more difficult a project. And the reason is it doesn't just take technology. You know, once we, we created the thrust in the aircraft, well, you know, it's a fairly easy thing. Send something out there. Now we just do it every day. It's no big deal. But what we're talking about when it comes to exploring inner space is each one of us has to energetically deal with the blocks that we hold within us against looking there. Generations and generations and generations of blocks. You know, you look at that, that story of the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. I mean, think about this logically for a minute. How does a bright group of people like this get lost in a 30-square-mile area for 40 years? That just doesn't make any sense. They weren't talking about a hot, sandy place. They were talking about the unconscious mind. Most people wander for 40 years before they start to even suspect there might be something else going on. And then the ongoing continuous work empowers it to develop the strength to go inside and handle those things. If you never develop the strength, you're not going there. You're not going to do it. And each individual has to do it themselves. You can't sit back and hear somebody else talk about it and go, oh, I got it. Now I understand. You know, bouncing off of what somebody else did is kind of like, you know, being the person that says, you know, I want to win the world weightlifting champion the gold belt of the champion of the weightlifters of the world. But, you know, I really don't want to exercise or lift weights. So, Charlie, how about if you go into the gym every day for the next year and work out, and then I'll go win the weightlifting championship? Like, good luck. You can't ride on anybody else's back. This is one project that each person has to do for themselves. Now, fortunately, not by themselves. For eons, for most people, it's something you have to do by yourself. Or you have to go check yourself into a monastery for 30 years. Fortunately, there are more and more people every day developing the brain cells. And one of the things I really appreciate is the technology we have access to that we can be having this conversation right now. Here I am in Theodosia, Missouri, and Dr. Tim's in Crystal Lake, uh, Illinois, and you know somebody else is in literally in South Africa or in Australia or in the Middle East or in Europe. And we're having this conversation, and when it's all over, 
Anyone on the planet who's got access to a computer can go click a button and listen to it. And well over a thousand hours of archives of shows just like this have been going on for the last five years. So I am certainly in big time appreciation of the technology that we get to record this for posterity and make it available on a global scale freely. It's pretty awesome. Well, we have a hand just go up. <clears throat> Great. Let's say hello. Ready for area code nine one zero? You're in the air. Hello, nine one zero. Nine one zero. I heard a little blip there, but it disappeared. Is this Brenda? They disappeared. So let's try eight two eight. Hey, let's go for eight two eight and nine one zero. If you uh, if you can, just dial back in, and we'll see if we can get with you. So, area code eight two eight. Welcome to the show. Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Hey, Michael Terry, calling from Asheville. Hey, welcome, young man. Awesome to hear from you. Yeah. The energy the energy is still bubbling. Yeah, nine one zero might have been. Uh, it was probably Sue. She was going to be on. All right. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, I don't know why she couldn't get on. But, uh, hey, I was going to ask a question. You did a great job describing the, the, the fundamentals there and getting into it. I've got uh, a new uh, a new person, and uh, she's on the I think she's listening in the audience now. I, I, I call and listen in uh, and kind of get uh, a little bit of a beginning understanding. And, and what it is is she's experiencing some high anxiety, which is like a fear and uh, a fear-based thing, and then... Uh, as I talked with her a little bit more, she got into it like it was specifically more like a fear of death. And then uh, uh, issues around that, these fears are coming up. And uh, she's been, uh, she got to doing some work with the 12 step program, but also with the, uh, as a psychiatrist that she's working on, working with. And uh, they've kind of started her own experimental drug process. So I want to hear some feedback just from, from our, your perspective, you and Dr. Tim there on uh, anxiety, fear-related stuff, anything you got for to, to offer on that, uh, we appreciate it. Awesome, Terry. Dr. Tim, you have some thoughts for Terry? Well, are you talking about what what causes anxiety? Yeah, some of the triggers, whatever your experience has been with it, if you work with folks with anxiety and any worksheet process that has to drilled into that or you know, any causes, whatever, whatever kind of comes up for you that might be appropriate to share. Well, uh, the first thing is we say most of the time when we're talking about people who are getting psychological or psychiatric care is just one of the things I tell people almost every time they come to see me for a first session is you have to have two things at a bare minimum in order for a therapy to be successful. And those two things include, at equal measure, someone that knows what he or she is doing and someone with whom you are comfortable. You can have the very best therapist in the world, but if you're not comfortable with her, you won't go to her long enough that she could help you or tell her the things she needs to know to help you. On the other hand, you can have your best friend in the world and be up till 3 or 4 in the morning several nights a week talking about everything that's ever bothered you and that's nice, and at times can be helpful, but that's not therapy. That person doesn't have the professional distance and the professional training to do for you what a therapy can. The next thing I would say is that if you're dealing with somebody who's already connected to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, especially if they're already taking medications, work with that medical professional or another medical professional to supervise the changes you're going to make in your medications, even if it's just reducing them or planning to go off of them. Because as we've talked about numerous times on this show, a lot of the medications that are used in psychology and psychiatry for these so-called mental illnesses are very powerful substances. And they cause changes in the endocrine system. They cause changes in the neurological system. They cause changes to the heart regulatory blood pressure system and the liver and absorption. So please get medical supervision if you're already on a medication and you're going to try and reduce or go off. Then the next thing I would say related to anxiety is that it's 
Um, Michael talks about this in a variety of ways. Uh, Guy Finley talks about it um, in a way that I find useful. He says, please try to remember there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. And yet one of the ways that I conceptualize anxiety is my unwillingness to look at or my discerned judgment that there is something in me that would be dangerous for me to understand about myself. So a lot of anxiety is the restless, uncomfortable energy that I generate when I'm trying to distract myself from something that's coming up within me. And if that's happening and I can just realize, oh, wait a minute, something in me is coming up, and the best thing for me to do, the safest and best thing for me to do, is keep my breath flowing and turn toward it rather than run away from it. And then, of course, Michael has a host of nice tools for helping people do just that. The Reality Management Worksheet, the Three Earliest Memories of Conflict, the Codependence to Interdependence Worksheet, and the Responsibility Communication Tool, and then the Mind Shifter. Just fabulous ways for me to practice and then reinforce the fact that it's okay for me to see what's bubbling up inside of me and that there isn't anything in my mind in my past experience that I can't handle because as a point of fact, I have already lived through it. I have already judged it and cataloged it and decided I didn't want to look at it, so I've actually hidden it from myself. So I've handled it many different ways. It's okay for me to handle it by just allowing it to come up to the surface. That's what I would begin related to anxiety. Sounds great. Thanks, Dr. Tim. I appreciate that. And we do have uh, a 910 with their hand up. And um, it, it's uh, blood talks having a little difficulty today. So I'm trying to, to open up 910 and it's not really working. So, so right now we still have Terry. Okay. Well, our apology, uh, Susan. Why don't but I hang up you can and just... see if it'll open the channel up for her, and I'll call back in. Okay. Sounds good, Terry. So let's see if we can get Susan on the line here. Young lady, can you hear us? Of course, you may be able to hear us, but we can't hear you. Hey, can you hear me? There you go. Oh, there you are. Welcome. Hey. I, I thought it wasn't meant to be. It is. That We're was, on it. That was the brain That's our, that's okay. our resistor. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, I want to tell you what I was, I was, I was thinking it was perfect that Terry got in first because that was very important that he asked that question. And so maybe Ruka had a, a, a plan. And I got knocked off as soon as I went to unmute myself. The call just dropped, so whatever that was about. But what I want to say is um, yesterday I did nine wake-up sheets. And throughout the day, I was listening to my mind, and I was just making notes in my phone. And, um, you know, I kind of backed off doing the work, work, uh, the wake-up sheets after, um, you know, we made a new agreement. Terry and I were doing five a day for a while, and then suddenly we stopped and started doing something else. And so I got a new person, and she would do one, and so I was doing three, and then I went down to one. And and then I had this, like, angst in, in my God, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go back to what I know works. So I'm going to commit to five, five wake-up sheets today, and I'm having time rearranging that word. But um, in, anyway, yesterday was just like, wow, after doing that, the vitality that I hit was amazing. So, um, And then you were talking today, and something that triggered brain cells in me, you were talking about after you've done a certain amount, you weaken the structure. Could you talk a little bit about more explain that if I understand it correctly? Are you saying you weaken the pattern that you've had? Well, actually, when you recognize that it's all made of energy, let's say that uh, I have a, a stoop on the front of my house that's made out of um, the slats from an apple box, you know, a wooden apple block box or orange crate. 
And then beside it, I've got another stoop, and it's made out of 4 by 4 treated lumber. Now, I can walk over to the one made out of the apple box, pretty weak, frail structure, and I can kick my foot through it. Cancel the thought, but if I try to kick my foot through that one made of 4 by 4 I'm probably going to break my foot because its structure energetically is tighter and stronger. So every reality that shows up in the mind is made up of frequencies firing at an amplitude. So let's say someone who's in upset around something might go, you know, I don't like that you did that and I'm upset about it. And so that structure has a certain amplitude to it. It's kind of quiet, but it's there. There is upset. And then another person says, and I'm really so enraged that you did that. They have a different amplitude, a different energetic structure, more like the four-by-fours. Here's my take on forgiveness. What forgiveness does on an energetic level is that it weakens the literal energies stored in brain cells that produce a particular response. In one case, you know, the one person's response that was angry, it's like the, uh, the, the, the stoop made out of apple crates. You know, well, there's anger, and it's like, okay. And then the other one is like the four-by-fours. Each time you do a worksheet, what happens is you shave a layer off of the four-by-four. Four. You know, it's kind of like you shave off a quarter-inch layer and another quarter-inch and another quarter-inch. Well, how many worksheets is it going to take to get that down to the level of the apple cart or the uh, the one made out of the uh, the apple uh, slats from the, you know? And, and so each time you forgive, you're literally weakening the structure of whatever the the reality is that's occupying the mind at the time. That's cool, Michael. I think I had an example this morning. Yeah, I think I think I had an example. I've had a classroom with this relationship. I was telling Terry about it. Since I moved to Wilmington, there's a, a person who was at your uh, workshops when you were here uh, in Wilmington. And um, right. since I moved here, we have had this on again, off again, like him wanting to go out with me and me like, yeah, I don't think so, you know, kind of backing off of that and and um, just, you know, getting this weird vibe. So today, and, and I'm, I'm not going to go into more of the story because it's all a story. It's all a projection of my mind. But I think it was a really great thing that happened today. He uh, texted me. He finally got an iPhone. And um, anyway, he texted me, and, and I didn't know who it was, and we finally figured out who he was. And I said, okay. And I had this little conversation with him, and it went around to, you know, uh, Asking me, and I said, "Well, yeah, I'm, ta- I'm dating Terry. I'm so excited." Blah blah blah. And then, and then he says, "He's dating this girl that's 23." And this this young man is like 56, 57. And in the past, the story that would have went, and he knows it, I would have um, been triggered. And today, it's like I was I was sitting there and I was waiting. You know how you wait for the Jack in the Box to pop out. And I was and I was like <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, that's amazing. I said, Wow, that's amazing. Um, you know, and, and that's just what I texted back and I'm sitting there smiling, I'm going, I'm I'm just waiting around for that anxiety to come up or that rage to come up and me give him some of my thoughts and I'm thinking, Okay, there's nothing and I'm thinking, I hope this is a good thing and um and he comes back with, Well I, I I thought that might, um, what did he, I can't even remember what he said, but he said, I thought that might, um, I, don't, I didn't know what that would do for you or something like that. And I was like, well, you know, the only thought I had was, um, something went through my mind was, uh, have you met her father and is he younger than you? <laughs> but it was kind of like a curiosity thought more than a um, mm. anything else, you know. And he says, right. well, actually, I, I pick her up at the door and I haven't met him yet. And I'm thinking, well, I want to say, well, you know, he was in my Laws of Living class. I was thinking, well, we could do some worksheets around that. But anyway, I didn't say anything. Um, it was just a really good demonstration of the work because my history Powerful. is... Yeah, right on. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, normally yeah, that would have shot me through the roof. So what you were talking about when you cool. said it weakens the structure was like, wow, it weakens the structure. 
healing happens. That's, you know? how, for, that's how the wake-up sheets work. And we're down to 10 seconds, so I need to quickly close up the show and say thank you, and let's continue the conversation tomorrow. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give. Blessings. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.